Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. Good morning to those of you that are watching online too. I'm so glad to see all of you here and so glad to have all of you that are watching online. Uh, we exist as a church at Warehouse Church. We exist to see more people experience the transformation uh, through Jesus Christ. And so I'm hoping that today you came ready to be transformed. Anyone ready to be transformed? Woo! Yes, I hope so. So welcome back to Love Comes to Town. Also, Super Bowl Sunday. Anyone excited about Super Bowl? <laughs> A couple of you are. <laughs> wow, that was really bad. I think I got better turnout in the earlier service. Anyone excited about Super Bowl? Okay, a couple of you are. So, uh, so I'll tell you that, um, you know, being a Florida boy, the only thing that excites me about this year's Super Bowl is that there's a University of Florida Gator uh, who's the kicker for the Bengals, so I'm rooting for the Bengals this year. And uh, so, um, so that's, that's good news. But, but we're spending uh, six weeks learning how to love God. We're spending six weeks learning how to love each other and how to love our families and how to love our neighbors in revolutionary ways. We're learning how to love the Jesus way. And, uh, and so today we kick off Love Week. Anyone excited about Love Week? I am so excited about Love Week. So we got our Love Week shirts in. And uh, so if you ordered one, make sure that you pick one up before you leave today. And, uh, and this is our opportunity, Love Week is our opportunity to love on our community in many different ways. And so on your chairs, you're going to find your Love Week card again. And uh, so there's a list of opportunities for you to love on our community this week. And we've got something for everyone. And so I just want to encourage you today, our focus is loving on our family. And so today, I want, to, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to find ways to love on your family today. Maybe before the Super Bowl, sit down and play a board game together. Or maybe go out and take a hike together on a trail. Or maybe, uh, maybe you could even just have a meal together. Maybe Sunday's like not a day that you have a meal. Maybe you could just sit down together and have a meal. And as you're having a meal together, maybe you could just go around the table and you could just tell who, whatever your family looks like, you just say, hey, tell, talk about the ways that you love one another. Like, say something kind to each other. So on your little card, there's lots of different ways every day of this week to love on our community. Uh, and we've got every day is a special focus, like uh, tomorrow is love healthcare workers, um, Tuesday and Thursday is love our schools, Wednesday is love our community, and, uh, and Sunday, Saturday is love our neighbors. And by the way, on Saturday, we're getting here at 1230, we're going to gather together, and we're going to head up to the trails, and we're going to clean some trails for the city. And uh, the mayor is especially excited about that, and so we're going to clean some trails up, pick up some trash, move some of the brush out of the trails, and, and just beautify the trails. And so I hope that you'll join us at 1230, and I want you to wear your Love Week shirt. So if you got one, wear one on Saturday, wear it Wednesday to small groups, and, uh, and so just wear it as often as you can, and show people, and, and conversation starter, what's this Love Week thing that you're talking about? And it can have an opportunity for you to start a conversation. And why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? The simple answer... So that question is this, because Jesus told us to. That's the simple answer. Jesus said so. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He said, hey, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, it says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this week is our chance or our opportunity to show our community love. And I hope and I'm praying that you're going to get out there and you're going to love this city this week. 
And so I also want to encourage you that don't just keep it to yourself. Like take a picture on Facebook or do something to, to put it on our, our warehouse Facebook page and let us know what you're doing. So maybe you buy someone uh, a meal behind you in McDonald's. Maybe just take a picture of the McDonald's sign and say, hey, I, I love someone this week. I bought them a meal. Or do whatever it is that, that, to show us that you're loving people this week. And so this morning, as we continue to talk about how we're going to love in revolutionary ways, how we're going to love the Jesus way, this morning, I want us to think about our neighbors. I want us to think about our neighbors and how we can love them. Now, uh, one of the greatest ways that you can love your neighbors is inviting them to church. And so I, I just want to tell you that I invited some of my closest neighbors. They live three hours away, and I invited them to church, and they came. And so Bob and Christina and their son, they're with us today, and they are great friends from Florida that moved to Virginia, like right before we moved to Kentucky, and we realized that we're only like three hours apart, and, uh, and so they came today. So give Bob and Christina a big hand for joining us today. And... Uh, but this morning, I want us to think really seriously about loving our neighbors and how we can love them. And this can be really hard. This can be hard and it can be difficult for a lot of different reasons, loving our neighbors. And I originally, I originally planned on using uh, the story of the Good Samaritan because it is such a great story about neighboring. But then, as I thought of it, I realized that's the passage of Scripture I used back in November when I came and preached in lieu of a call. And so I didn't want to use that one again. And so I began to pray. I'm like, God, what passage in your word can I use to talk about what it looks like to be a good neighbor? And God led me to the story about Jonah. And, and, and I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking, Pastor Rick, that's a great story uh, if you're looking for a children's story. But loving your neighbor, really, Jonah and the fish? And I get it because, well, Jonah reads much like a fairy tale. It has a giant fish in it. It's filled with all kinds of twists and turns. And it can feel like something right out of Disney. But I would submit to you this morning, and I would challenge you this morning to, to think about this, that Jonah is much more than a children's story. That Jonah is way more than a Sunday school story. It's a story about God's grace. It's a story about basic obedience. And it's a story, believe it or not, about neighboring. And the entire book of Jonah is 48 verses long. So it's not a big book. Four chapters, 48 verses. It's really easy to read. And there, but there's so much packed in this small little book in the Old Testament. And I think that today, as we dive into Jonah, that, that it will help us to see that God calls you and me to love our neighbors well. And so one of the things that is very clear as you read the story of Jonah, one of the themes that jump right out at you is, is this theme that God provides. Everybody say God. God. Everybody say provides. God. You see, God provides, and in this story, God provides a call, he provides a storm, he provides a fish, and he provides grace. God always, always provides. And so as we dive into Jonah, the first thing that we see as we look at Jonah chapter 1, we see that God provides a call. God provides a call. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So God tells Jonah right away, right away he says, Jonah, you're my man, you're my prophet, and, and I want you to go to this great city and I want you to preach the good news. 
Now, when God uses the word great, God's not talking about meaning that Nineveh is some wonderful city. It's not a beautiful city. It's not like a great destination spot. When God uses the word great, he tells Jonah that this city is a powerful city. It's a gigantic city, and it's a a mean city, and there are millions and millions of people living there. And so maybe we would call today, we would call Nineveh Sin City. And, and the Assyrians who lived there, well, they were really nasty people. They weren't fun people to be around. They were often at war. And, and if they captured you, um, they didn't just kill you. Like they loved to play with you a little bit. And so they would bury you alive in the sand. And then they would let you bake in the sun until you died. And after you died, they didn't just bury you, but they would cut off your head and they would build pillars all around the city made from human heads. So this place, this Nineveh, is not the place that you want to go for on vacation. It's not Disney by any stretch of the means. So God calls his prophet, he calls his man Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he tells Jonah, he says, I want you to go and I want you to preach to your neighbor because Nineveh was a neighboring country. And, and so God is telling him, I want you to go and be a good neighbor to Nineveh. And Jonah responds like this. He's like, God, I don't want to go preach to my neighbors. I don't like the Ninevites. They are mean and they are the enemies of Israel. And furthermore, he's like, not only am I not going to go to Nineveh, but I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to go towards Joppa, where I can get on a boat going to Tarshish. And so Jonah is basically saying to God, he's saying, God, I know that you have called me to be your prophet. And I know that that's my job, but I don't like these people. So the answer is no, and I quit. And he goes in the opposite direction. And truth is, Jonah, in this moment, is really being a racist and a bigot. I mean, he doesn't want anything to do with those people that aren't like him. He doesn't think they deserve God's love. And I think that sometimes that we, well, we don't reach out to our neighbors for the very same reasons. We don't reach out to our neighbors because, well, like the Ninevites... Some of our neighbors are different from us, and we don't always like our neighbors. And I also think we live in a day and an age where the simple act of being a good neighbor is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. And why? Like, why is it so hard to be a neighbor in 2022? And I think the reason is because everything has changed. Everything has changed. 50 years ago, it was easy to be a good neighbor. It was easy to even get to know your neighbors. And and now you might live in your home for 10 years and not even know the names of the people that live right around the corner from you. And so what's changed? I mean, what's the difference? Well, I know that when I was growing up, that we would always spend time out on the front yard. That I love to go to my grandma's house and, and not far from here in Ohio. And I would go to my grandma's house and she had a porch. And we would hang out on the porch every night. And we would go and sit on the porch and we would talk to other neighbors who were right next door. And they were hanging out on their porch. 
And I remember as a kid so many times playing a pickup game of football in my front yard. Or we would go and we'd play kickball in the street, right? Like that street light would be first base, the pothole would be second base, and the other street light would be third base, and we would play kickball. And I remember my dad, my dad would be outside all the time. He'd be outside taking care of the yard. He'd be outside um, watering the grass and the plants. And, and that's just the way it was. We were always outside. But then there was this shift that came along with this invention of this thing called air conditioning. And we went from the front porch and the front yard to in front of our TVs. And we moved inside. We didn't have to sit on the front porch anymore. It was cooler inside the house than it was outside. And then came this other invention called the, uh, the automatic garage door opener. Anyone have one of those? Yeah, most of us do an automatic garage door opener. And so now I don't even have to talk to my neighbors, right? Like I just pull into my driveway, I push that button, and my drawbridge goes up. And I pull in, and then my drawbridge goes down, and I never had to talk to anyone. And so I don't have to be outside. Think about even your yard. You don't even have to be out in your yard anymore because we have these things called automatic sprinkler systems. Like, it takes care of the grass in the middle of the night. It's water in the lawn. Uh, we were, when we were driving around, when we came here to visit, um, we were driving around and, and looking for homes, and we were driving through one neighborhood, and they had, like, one of those automatic robot lawnmowers. And it was mowing the lawn. Like, there was nobody out there. It was just, like, the same thing with your little vacuum cleaner that's, what is that thing called? Um, the, whatever it's called, you know, that does your vacuuming. This one was doing the yard. It was cutting the grass. So you don't even have to be out in your yard anymore to cut the grass. And so all of a sudden, what was very normal, being outside, connecting with people, disappeared. As we retreated into our castles, doing things inside, under the air conditioning. And even, if you think about this, even the architecture of homes has changed over the past 50 years. The average size of a home has doubled in the past 50 years. And the biggest room in the home is no longer the dining room. The dining room used to be the place that everyone gathered. But homes used to be built around hospitality. It was built for you to have this thing called company over. And, and we don't do that anymore, right? People would come to your house, believe it or not, and, they would, and you would invite them in, and it was no big deal. But now if like someone knocks on your door after 8 o'clock at night, you're calling 911, unlocking the gun safe, and telling everybody to get down because you're scared to death that someone's on your front porch. It's a different age and a different day. And we don't even use dining rooms anymore. I mean, now the master bedroom is the largest room in the house. And I've seen some master bedrooms that are gigantic. And I mean, there are some people that they don't even have to leave their master bedroom. Like their bathroom's in there, their refrigerator's in there, a couch is in there, their bed's in there. Like they don't even leave their master bedroom. Some of them even have a private entrance to their master bedroom. Like you don't even have to socialize with your family anymore. You can just go right into your master bedroom. And times have changed. And what that means for us is that it's really hard to get to know our neighbors. And this morning, I just I want you to think about 
the hundred neighbors that live closest to you. Now, you might not know their names, and I don't expect you to know all hundred people's names, but you may know their faces as they drive by and as you drive by. And let me tell you, though, let me just introduce you to your hundred neighbors. Uh, 56 of your hundred neighbors, they're on Facebook. Two-thirds of them have smartphones. Four of them have cancer. Sixteen of them have no idea how they're going to pay their bills this month. Thirteen of them are one month behind on their mortgage payment. Twenty-six of them have been divorced. Seven of them have struggled with much, so much with depression that they've thought about suicide. Three of them are grieving because someone close to them just died. Seven of them are addicted to drugs. Seven of them are alcoholics. Fourteen feel trapped by severe anxiety. Six have just struggled with the loss of a job. Ninety of them didn't go to church last Sunday. And 69 of them don't know Lord Jesus as their Savior. That's your neighbors. Now let me challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to do one thing. I want to challenge you to choose four of your closest neighbors. Just four, not a hundred, just four of them. And I want you to commit to pray for those four neighbors over the next month. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to take it one step further. I want you to go to them, to their house, and I want you to say to them this. I want you to say, hey, my church is praying for a bunch of our neighbors. Now, don't do it after 8 o'clock, okay? So wait, do it during the day. But I want you to go to your church or go to your neighbor, and I want you to say, hey, my church is praying for a bunch of our neighbors, and I want to pray for you. And I just want to ask you a simple question. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And listen. And some of your neighbors may say, you know what? I'm good, thanks, but no thanks. But most of your neighbors, and most of the time, will say this. They'll say, wow, that's really incredible. You know what? You can pray for me. You can pray for my daughter, or you can pray for my son, or you can pray for my dad, or you can pray for my mom or my grandma. Uh, And it probably won't be about them. But they'll ask you to pray for something. And that's a huge step in the right direction. It may take years, but let me promise you this, that if you will ask them today, is there anything I can pray for? Some time in the future, they're going to come up to you and they're going to come to you with something serious. Maybe their dad died or maybe their daughter OD'd or maybe their uh, brother took his own life. And they're going to come to you and they're going to ask for your prayers And it all started with a simple ask. Is there anything I can pray for you for? You see, neighboring's hard, but I believe that you can do it. But in our story, Jonah, he didn't want to do it. So he does what he only knew to do, and that was to run away. He runs in the opposite direction, and he doesn't run because he's afraid that he'll go to Nineveh and he'll preach the good news and nothing will happen. That wasn't his fear. Jonah runs away because he dislikes those people so much, and he's afraid that if he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the good news, they will repent, and he dislikes them so much because they're different from him that he doesn't want something like that to happen to them. He doesn't want anything good to happen to them. And so what does God do next? God provides a storm. You see, Jonah, as we read on, we see that Jonah now is on a boat and he's going in the opposite direction of where God told him to go. And it says in the word, it says that God provides a storm. And it's not just a little wimpy storm. It's a serious 
storm. And everyone on the boat is afraid, and everyone on the boat is screaming, we're going to die. And it's so bad that the crew on the boat begins to pray to their gods. And they begin praying, and then they decide, you know what? We're going to cast lots, and we're going to figure out who's, who's at fault, like who is responsible for this storm. And so as they cast lots, the Bible says that they decide that Jonah is the one responsible for the storm. And where is Jonah when all this is happening? The Bible says he's down below taking a nap. And so the captain goes below deck, and he wakes Jonah up, and he's like, dude, what is going on? Like, what is your story? What have you done to cause all of this on us? And the story was this, that God had called him to do this thing, and he chose to go in the opposite direction. Listen, when God calls you to do something, Here's what happens. There's always a boat going in the opposite direction. That when God calls us to do something, there's always a boat going in the opposite direction. There's always an opportunity to compromise and to not do what God has called you to do. And you might be thinking, you're right, Rick, like that God called me to do this thing, but then there was this opportunity that came along going in the opposite direction that, so I could compromise and not do what God had called me to do. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're a young lady and, and you want to be married and, and, and you want to get married and you are waiting for the right guy. You're waiting for God's man in your life and you're starting to grow impatient like you've been waiting for a while and you're growing impatient. And guess what? There's always a boat. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction with a young man on it who does not love Jesus and who you know is not what God has for you. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction, or maybe, maybe you're a young guy, or maybe you're a husband in here, and you're trying to be faithful to your wife, or you're trying to remain pure. You're single, and you're just trying to be pure, and there, listen, there's always a boat going in the wrong direction. There's always a computer that's got pornography on it. There's always a, a girl that's available, and there's always this boat going in the wrong direction, and so when God calls you to something, Here's the good news. He gives you the ability in your spirit to do the right thing. Amen. That God will not call you to do something that you cannot do. And look for the boat going in the right direction. Like avoid the boats that are going in the wrong direction. Do what God has called you to do. You see, Jonah, he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. He's he got on the boat going in the wrong direction. And the captain asks him, what is going on? And Jonah responds in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9, with this big declaration. He says these words. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I really just want to shake Jonah and kind of get in his face and say, you liar. Like, you're not worshiping God right now. You're on a boat, and you're going in the wrong direction. And so what does God do? But God sends a storm. And listen, sometimes God sends storms in our lives to wake us up. And sometimes they're painful, but he uses storms to wake us up spiritually. He uses storms in our lives uh, to, to, to come to the fact that, you know what? I need Jesus. And that's what God does. He uses storms in our lives. And so Jonah is in the midst of a storm. And Jonah gets up, the Bible says, and he says these words 
to the crew. He says, you know what? Throw me overboard and everything will stop. What Jonah doesn't say is this. He doesn't say, you know what? If you'll just turn the ship around and take me back, I know that I can be obedient to God and he'll stop this storm from happening. Jonah would rather drown in the sea than preach the gospel to his neighbors in Nineveh. And so the crew, the Bible says, the crew reluctantly threw him overboard. And what happens next is amazing. The seas calm immediately, and the crew, not not Jonah, but the crew began to worship the one true God. The God that Jonah just talked about, the God that Jonah just declared that created the land and the sea, that every member of that crew begins to worship the one true God. And meanwhile, Jonah is drowning in the sea. And the Bible says that God provides a fish. Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and a big fish, it says, swallows him, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, right there when I said that, you know the story, you knew it was coming, but right there when I said it, some of you are ready to check out because you're thinking, this is where it starts to sound like a fairy tale. Like, here's where it gets all Disney on me. I can't go there. I was with you until you said there's a big fish that swallows this guy and he survives for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. It sounds like a kid's story and I just can't go there because I don't want to be guilty of checking my intellect at the door. I just can't do it. Okay, but here's the problem with that. The problem is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and 40, check out what Jesus says. Jesus says these words, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, church, Jesus believed the story. Jesus believed the story. Jesus believed that Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. And if you don't believe that story, your problem's not with Jonah. Your problem's with Jesus. Because keeping some guy in fish storage for three days is nothing compared to bringing a man back from the dead who was buried for three days and then suddenly rose. That's the bigger story. And so we see Jonah in the whale, or in the belly of the big fish, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and then all of a sudden, the fish spits him out onto dry land. And here's Jonah sitting on the beach, fish guts all over him, smelling like you can never imagine. And then here's what God says in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everybody say second. second. That's, a, that's an important word in here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. I love that. I love that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time because it reminds me that God is the God of second chances. He's the God of 10th chances. He's the God of 39th chances. He's the God of 165th chances. Some of you are here today and you are longing 
for a second chance. You think, man, I have got regrets in my life. I have done some things that I wish I hadn't done. I wish I had a second chance in my marriage. I wish I had a second chance raising my kids. I wish I had a second chance with that job I had. I wish I had a second chance in school. Well, guess what? God is the God of second chance. And maybe you just need to hear that today. Maybe you just need to know that God is a God that's full of grace and full of love and full of compassion and full of kindness. God doesn't hold grudges. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for you. He's the God of second chance. And God tells Jonah, he says, listen, I want you to go back to Nineveh. And why? Why Nineveh? Why does God keep telling him to go to Nineveh? Well, because God loves those people. And God knows that the people in Nineveh need a second chance. He loves a city that does not love him. And that's a picture of our salvation. He loves us even when we didn't love him. It's a picture of God's grace. And so why Nineveh? I mean, there's a lot of neighboring areas that he could have sent Jonah to, but why is Nineveh so important? And I think this is huge. I think this is a big deal. I think the fact that Jonah goes to Nineveh, this wicked, evil city, and the city is transformed, well, that gives us hope. That gives us hope that if God can rescue Nineveh, God can rescue us. It gives us hope for the guy at work that you've been praying for, you've been praying and praying and praying that he'll come to know Jesus and you think that he will never change. But after you read Jonah, you know there's hope, that there's hope for the person in your family who you believe is a lost cause. There's hope. Listen, there's hope for the 90% in Floyd County. God changes hearts. I got more amens in that one than I did in the early service. You're more awake, but let's do it again. God changes hearts. And if God can change this incredible, evil city, he can change anybody. And the story goes on to tell us that Jonah obeys the word of the Lord, and he goes to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a huge city. The Bible says it takes three days to walk through the city. And, and it takes him, it says it takes Jonah a full day and a half, and he gets to the middle of the city. And as he gets into the middle of the city, here's what Jonah proclaims. Here's his moment. Here's where the spotlight's on him. He's getting ready to proclaim it. And here's what it says in verse 4. It says, Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah is looking ragged. He is smelling pretty awful. And he goes and he preaches a message that is without a doubt the worst message ever preached in the world. It's eight words long, y'all. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Rick, I wish you would preach eight word long sermons. But it's eight words long. That's it. He walks into the middle of the city and he says, hey, Ninevites, 40 more days and God's going to destroy the city. Now, Jonah's a prophet. This isn't his first rodeo. He knows how to preach, and he knows the formula. I mean, he knows that prophets always start with these words, thus saith the Lord. And he knows that then they proclaim the people's sins, and he proclaims their injustices, and then the prophet always talks about the fact that if they repent, that God will rescue them. And Jonah, eight words, 
He never mentions God. There's no grace in his sermon. There's not a word about God being loving and kind. There's no word about them repenting and God rescuing them. And why? Simply because he doesn't want these people to repent. He dislikes them that much. He wants nothing good to come to their lives. But guess what? God uses Jonah's sermon anyway. And go figure. I mean, an unfit messenger with a terrible message, and God uses the message, and what does Nineveh do? It repents. Verse 5 says the Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. It says they believed God. And meanwhile, Jonah was being a bigot and a bully because he preached truth with no grace. And here's what I'm learning that, that, that this, I'm learning this truth that when you see, uh, when you preach truth with no grace, here's what you are you're a bully. When you preach hellfire and damnation without grace, all you're being is a bully. And when you preach grace with no truth, well, now you're just enabling people. But when you preach both grace and truth, that's the gospel. That's Christianity. And let me tell you, the 90% aren't coming to church in Floyd County because all they're getting is truth with no grace. They've been bullied. They've been bullied into their homes. They don't want to come to church and get bullied again. And we need to be people who preach truth with grace. John 1.14 reminds us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jonah doesn't do that. He preaches this awful sermon. And yet the people believe God. They believe that God loves them. And they repent. And that's the miracle of the book. It's not about the fish. Like, get over the fish. It's not about the storm. It's not about Jonah smelling. It's all about the fact that they believed in spite of Jonah. The miracle of the book is after this horrific message that there's repentance in a wicked city, which means this, and this is good news, that God can use anybody to reach anybody. Yes, God can even use you and me. So you might be thinking, well, you know what, Pastor Rick, this whole thing about loving my neighbor and going to my neighbor, you might be thinking, I'm not okay with that. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I can do that because what, what if I say something wrong, right? Like, what if I say the wrong thing? Or, or what if my neighbor has questions that I can't answer? And you're thinking, I'm, I'm unfit as a messenger. I'm not, I can't do that. I could do more harm than I could do good. And listen, Jonah was one of the most horrible, unfit messengers in the world. And if God can use him, God can and will use you. We just have to be willing. So don't allow fear to grip you because God is with you every step of the way. When you walk to your neighbor's house or if they live far enough, you got to drive to your neighbor's house and you pull up in their yard and you walk up to their door, don't let fear get a hold of you. Listen, the Bible says 366 times, do not be afraid. That's one for every day plus one. We don't have to be afraid. And every time it says, do not be afraid, it always says 
a promise after it. A promise like this, that God is with you, that he has got, he's got your back, that God's fighting for you. And so you don't have to be afraid because God is with you. He's promised that he will always be with you as you walk to your neighbor and you ask the simple question, hey, is there anything I can be praying for you? God is with you. If we will just be obedient, check this out. If we'll just be obedient, there can be transformation. And here's the deal. No one, absolutely no one is beyond the reach of God. That family member that you think is a lost cause, they're not beyond God's reach. That addict that you know, they're not beyond God's reach. That alcoholic you know, they're not beyond God's reach. That, that dad that beats his kids, not beyond God's reach. That, that person that cheats you at the bank, not beyond God's reach. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. So we've got to be a good neighbor. Just get to know them. Be a neighbor that offers help to them. Love them unconditionally. And then finally, there's this last thing that God provides. God provides grace. God provides grace. You see, Jonah, he's an easy target. God says, do this, and he goes in the opposite direction. And he obviously dislikes the people that are different from him. He's a racist. And we aren't, are we any different? Like, we often don't like our neighbors for the craziest reasons. Well, they had uh, an election sign in their yard that was different from the election sign that was in my yard. So I don't like them. I'm not going to talk to them. Or they have different values than I do, so I don't like them. Or they grew up differently than I did, so I don't like them. Or they have this problem in their life, and so I don't like them. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. But if we're going to love our neighbors well, here's the deal. We can't find our identity and our politics or in our values or in our social justice issues. We have to find our identity in Christ. And every one of us is called by God to love every person well. So as the worship team comes up, there's one last thing I want you to know about this story. And here's what it is. The hero in the story of Jonah is not Jonah. Jonah is not the hero. He messes up all the way through and God still uses him. You want to know who the hero is in the story? The hero is Jesus. You see, you and I, we were on a boat together and the boat was in a massive storm and the consequences of the boat going down was going to be death for us. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, throw me overboard. Jesus said, let me go to the cross and let me die for the life that you should have lived. Let me die for the death you should have died. I will die, Jesus said, on your behalf. And because I go to the cross, you will know life. Because I choose to go to the cross on your behalf, you will live life abundantly. You see, church, Jesus was thrown overboard. But here's what happened. 
below the surface and beneath the waves was this massive amount of love. And because it was there, Jesus was pursuing us and Jesus has been loving us and caring for us. The hero of the story is Jesus and he wants to transform your life. He wants to transform the lives of people around you and he wants to transform the life of our city. And so like Jonah, <laughs> like Jonah, some of you, you've been running. You've been running away from God. You've been running as fast and as hard as you can away from God. And somehow by God's providence, you find yourself here today, this morning. And in a room this size with the amount of people, there's someone in here who's been running from God and you know in your heart of hearts that you're the one that has been running away from God for a long time. And the terrifying thing is this, that, that you can't run away from God. You're not gonna win that race. And the good news is you don't have to because God is slow to anger and he's abounding and love and he's ready to give you life. I just challenge you today as we wrap up that if you're running from God, if that's you, if you're like, man, I, it's me, he's talking to me, I'm the one, just stop. Stop running. Even Forrest Gump stopped running at one point. Stop running. It's exhausting to run from God. It's physically draining, it's emotionally draining, it's spiritually exhausting. So just stop today. Stop and surrender your life to Jesus. Because here's what I know. I know that I know that I know that running towards God rather than running away from God is the most freeing and life-giving thing that will ever happen in your life. Stop running. And here's the other thing, love your neighbors well. Invite them to church. They are lonely and they are isolated and they're living in their castles, but they're longing for someone to knock on the door and say, hey, my church is praying for a bunch of neighbors. Is there anything? I can be praying for you for. They're longing for it, church. They just want you to come. And the last thing, never ever forget that Jesus is always, always, always the hero. He's always the hero. And he's come to rescue you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the story of Jonah. God, I thank you that it is a wonderful reminder of your grace. It's a wonderful reminder that you are the God of second chances. It's a wonderful reminder that you have called us to love our neighbors well. But Lord, I know that there's some people in this room that they've been running from you. God, that you have called them and they have run in the opposite direction, just like Jonah. And they are drowning right now. They are drowning in the sea of exhaustion. 
God, they're tired, they're depressed. There's no joy in their life. And Lord, here you are, continuing to pursue them, continuing to love them. And all they have to do today is stop running and to turn around and to say these two words, I surrender. I surrender. God, I surrender. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing it my way. I surrender. So if that's you this morning, if you're the one that's been running, you know who you are. I just want you to say those two words. I surrender. Just say them. Say them out loud. I surrender. We're going to do it together so you don't have to be alone. We're all going to say it right now. One, two, three. I surrender. I surrender my life to you, Lord. The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. All you got to do is say, I surrender. So as the worship team leads us, church, these altars are open for you to come and surrender. Just come and surrender. Stop fighting. Stop running. Stop thinking you know what's best for you better than God does. And surrender your life to Jesus. Don't go another day. Make this Super Bowl the best day of your life because it's the day that you said yes. And you surrendered. You come as we sing. You surrender. You surrender.